0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash Elite. All right, welcome back, or welcome to... It's Way Back Wednesday. Kevin McKenna uh, joining me as he has for, well, at least... Ten I think eleven weeks actually oh. this is uh yeah we've done this uh we've we throw it back to a to a year we've we've now covered in in an odd order, albeit <laughs> we've covered everything from two thousand to two thousand ten or we will by the end of today today we are focusing on the one year that we've missed it's two thousand and four Kevin, how are you sir
1: I'm good, good, it seems like time stands still here the last uh, well the first half of this year, so uh I think we could be forgiven for skipping around years and not not realizing how many weeks we've been doing this. Uh, it, it's been a strange year, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, we, we like doing these things, and hope you guys like them as much as we do.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good way to sum this up. It's uh, it's it seems like we've done three or four of these. We've done eleven or twelve. Um, yeah, yeah. Time standing still is a, is a good way to sum it up. I, if you're watching live on Facebook, you see I got some bling here. New podcast, Mike. If you're listening, hopefully you're hearing like the, the golden tones from what is really the golden microphone. This, Kevin, is the one um, uh, flaw of shopping online. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I got the, is this the play to play version? Like if, if you're watching, you see the microphone is like gold plated. Yeah. Just cool. Like I, I'm, I thought of it when I first opened the box, I thought, oh my God, this is not me. I'm leaning into it. I, I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm gonna roll with this. You're gonna yeah, see the, the gold, the gold the, mic the, is where it's at. The,
1: the, the, that's vintage 1970s Walter Cronkite, you know, CBS News. <laughs> <user. you>
0: <laughs> that is literally the first time I've been mentioned in the same sentence as Walter Cronkite. That's cool, hey, I like the, the,
1: that. you, you could have done far
0: worse. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, I, I, and I'm quite confident that I have, kind of, quite confident that I have. <laughs> um, all right, so 2004, as we throw this back, and uh, obviously a lot going on present day, I'm gonna to spend too much time on it. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on, a lot of troubling stuff going on, I guess, to, to some extent. Uh, I feel like this sports drag racing world is rightfully uh, glued to uh, to US 131 Raceway and Martin, Michigan. Mostly we're what, two days removed from kicking off the, the by far richest person in, in drag racing history, much less the color racing history. Um, and in addition to Martin, um, big events going on on both coasts as well big jed's got his world footbreak challenge this week in bristol it looks like they're going to have a record turnout there um, kyle cycle is hosting the um, uh i think the gold rush classic uh, big dollar bracket race out in sonoma california uh, mm-hmm. which i know is super exciting for kyle just to bring a, a true high level big dollar bracket race to that area it's something that he's yeah. wanted to do for decades so I'm, I'm excited for him and excited to watch Really, all of that action unfold mm-hmm. over the next few days. No,
1: it, it speaks well for the overall health of the sport that, uh, you know, you, you've got some troubling times, but people still find a way to get out there and uh, support tracks. You know, it's obviously that's more important now than, than ever to, to get behind uh, some of these races. And whether it's a big money race or your weekly event, um, get out there and make it happen.
0: All right. So 2004 is the subject today. Uh, give us a little bit of background. What Where were you at in 2004? What's going on
1: in your life? You know, I know it's funny. For, for, for that 20-year or so period, of my life rarely changes, right? I was still working for NHRA, living in California, uh, traveled to a lot of national events in 2004. You know, I remember that being a pretty hectic year. Uh, hobby stuff, working on muscle cars my at the time and just, uh, you know, kind of drag racing in cars 24-7, it seems.
0: Same, same. Uh, so 2004, I had uh, I had relocated to Alabama. That was in 03. Uh, 2004, I'm, I'm working at Huntsville Engine. I bought a house. I was actually engaged at the time. That engagement broke off in 2004. So that was a bummer. But now looking back, everything, uh, I don't know if everything happens for a reason. There's good definitely to come from every situation. Uh, mm-hmm. my, I got really hot racing-wise early in that season. And it really... I think it was back-to-back weekends. There was a there was an event in Montgomery that, that we'll get to a little bit later where I won the Weekend Points Championship and was deep in, in several, at the time, huge races. Like, I think one was $100,000 to win. I didn't win, but I think I was lost in the semis and was running up the next day. Anyway, won the Weekend Points Championship. The very next weekend was the first of the Tentuck Series of that year. It used to be a, a three-weekend series at Bowling Green. And I technically – won all three days of the March tenth. I think that's been done one time since, and I, and I cannot remember who did it. But at the time, it was the first time it happened. And it didn't actually, it's not like I ran through the field for three consecutive days. I won Friday. It rained Saturday. I won Sunday. And, it, and the cool, co- coolest part about it for me was I ran Scotty Richardson in both finals. So like, I'll never forget that. Well, then fast forward to July for the second Tentuck, they had the makeup race like Friday night, and I won it. So I you know, won all three of the March races, but they weren't all in March. But, but, did
1: cool. you, but, but did you want the throttle every time you turn on the wind light? I
0: didn't you... throw them any quote unquote Scotties, no. <laughs> too much respect, too much respect. Um, we'll set up 2004 a little bit. Um, George W. Bush re-elected uh, presidential race, defeated John Kerry. Um, gay marriages began in Massachusetts. That's the first state in the country to legalize such unions. It's hard to believe that that was just 16 years ago. Martha Stewart, convicted of a felony, sentenced to five months in prison. And this was an eye opener for me, Kevin, just to think about how old I am. 2004, a guy by the name of Mark Zuckerberg launched this thing called Facebook just for students at Harvard University. Um, It seems like that's been a staple of my life. And uh, I was 23 years old and, and didn't learn of Facebook for years from then.
1: Yeah. I- I- interesting to think that something uh, in-, in less than two decades can become so ingrained in, in your life and, you know, probably a significant uh, part of the planet is is on that platform and uses it daily and k- k- kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, no, pretty insane when you, when you look back at, at that perspective. Uh, I always like to set the table sports wise because it takes me back to where I was 2004. Good year for the Northeast, um, specifically Boston, Connecticut. Uh, World Series with Boston Red Sox over the St. Louis Cardinals. New England Patriots win the Super Bowl over the Carolina Panthers. But the New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl was not the story of the Super Bowl in 2004, Kevin. Do you remember the story of the Super Bowl in
1: 2004? I do. I do. Uh, Janet Jackson, right?
0: Janet Jackson was definitely the story of the Super Bowl in 2004, obviously. That's the infamous halftime show. Uh, Janet's, Janet, Janet's press. Yeah. We saw we saw the press. Just for a second. You know what?
1: That's it I've seen worse on television. <laughs> I mean I mean I don't I don't have kids. I didn't have to explain anything to them, so so maybe it's but hey.
0: It's, I remember seeing it in real time. You know, like it was it seemed like it just quickly faded to commercial. Yeah. I was like, did I there's no way that was what I thought I saw, right? I mean it was quick, but yeah. yeah. Then, uh, then we got the slow mo, and yeah. So, it's um, so a good year for for Boston sports between the Red Sox and the Patriots. Um, in the NBA, this was the the one year that the quote unquote team overtook the megastars. This is in the era, you know, we had the Jordan's Bulls, we had the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. It was quickly followed by LeBron's reign, and then the the Golden State Warriors. In the middle there, um, the Detroit Pistons that. I mean, Chauncey Billups is probably the best player. Like, not a not a huge, you know, standout top ten of all time NBA player on that team. Just a good team that checked all the boxes. They were the NBA Finals champion that year over the LA Lakers, uh, and in the Stanley Cup, Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes. Yes. There, you I, you I, say that.
1: I, I'm a huge Lightning fan. Always have been, and uh, okay. yeah, that that was a huge highlight for me watching them. Uh, Game seven probably took years off my life. I remember it well. But, uh, but one of, you know, I have, when it comes to professional sports, I think I have two huge highlights in my life uh, Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup, Cubs winning the World Series. Life is complete. I can die in peace now, at least until they both do it again.
0: I forgot, we kind of brushed over this, because I think we talked in 2005, like, this is on the heels of my, my lightning winning, and maybe last week it was, you know, this was the year leading up to my lightning winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the year. Oh, Go good year, good year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, NCAA basketball, UConn runs the table, uh, men's and women's national champions. Uh, I believe that's the first time that that had ever been done. On the men's side, they defeated Georgia Tech in the final. The women's side, uh, surprise, surprise, UConn over uh, Tennessee. So... Um, a couple of pop culture fun tidbits. Uh, the biggest hits at the box office. This was the year that Ray came out. That's the, the Ray Charles movie mm-hmm. with Jimmy Fox, I believe. Great movie. And I remember I remember Million Dollar Baby. That was Clint Eastwood and Hillary Swank, I believe. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also a great so movie. A mm-hmm. And uh, and Snoop Dogg really drop it like <laughs> That's a top. Cool. Uh, all right, so let's circle it into uh, our, our our niche. Our, our our racing community here. Uh, let's start with the NHRA professional race, right,
1: okay? Well, if you if you like upsets, 2004 was not the year for you. Um, <laughs> you, you, you may have heard of some of the uh, champions, Tony Schumacher, John Force, Greg Anderson, Andrew Hines. Uh, I- interesting that today they are all the, the class leaders in their respective, as far as wins. They're the winningest driver in, in each professional category. Um, uh, with tony it was the first of six straight top fuel championships part of the army team you know alan johnson had come on as his crew chief a year earlier they clicked um it, it was pretty much a landslide win. doug Kalitta finished the second again uh just a monster season uh same thing for john force uh he finished with a 300 point lead over del Worsham. um a lot going on in the force camp uh that was when his, his oldest daughter, Ashley was coming up. Uh, she made her debut in top alcohol dragster, won three races. Uh, also Eric Medlin was added to the team that year. Eric won his first race in Brainerd. Um, so, you know, John had a lot of good things going on in in 2004. Um, in fact, he, he clinched the title just by qualifying in Las Vegas. Yes.
0: Yeah. Tight race all the way around. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> Not, and, and closer considerably closer than the pro stock title chase that season
1: pro, pro stock was ridiculous if you really want to put a word on it greg anderson uh won the title by uh more than 800 points he uh won 15 of 23 races uh he clinched the title with four races left there, there, there was no drama in this at all um uh, You know, and again, a lot of it was, I think, the result earlier. The previous year, he brought Jason Line on as both a teammate and an engine builder. Again, they had, you know, the offseason to click and and improve their technology, and they really ran roughshod over the field. Um, I think Dave Connolly had a pretty good season. Uh, Dave Connolly, Jason Line, and Kurt Johnson were the only other drivers to win a pro stock race that year. (laughs)
0: And what's incredible about that, you get four winners on the season, and mm-hmm. what were we two, three years removed from the season of parody where we had yeah, yeah 12, to words, 12 to
1: 15. Talk? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just shows you how quickly things can change um, in a uh, pro stock on the motorcycle side. Uh, Andrew Hines, you know, the, 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 Harleys, that was when their program came together. Uh, in fact, Andrew and his then teammate GT Tonglet raced in the final at Gainesville. Um, that was the the first win. Uh, they were pretty dominant. Uh, even mid season, they got hit with a big weight increase of uh, from 575 to 615 still didn't slow them down that much. Um, you know, the Harleys won the bulk of the events. Uh, and again, Andrew just had to qualify in Pomona. That was the last championship clinched, but all he had to do was qualify. So there wasn't really any drama in there. You know, and you and I have talked about this a bit, like what was the, uh, the thinking behind starting the countdown and the points thing. And it was years like this where, right for most of the season, you had guys build huge points leads by Indy. There was very little doubt who was going to win really any of the championships. And, uh, you know, now, now, you know, in countdown seasons, you've got a little bit more drama.
0: All right. So put yourself in the position of that Vance and Hines team, at, you know, coming into 2004 or, or early stages of 2004. At what point do you think, you know, okay, we got this new program we're going to kick the hell out of everybody. Like at what point does that come together and it's just obvious like
1: that? Well, that's a really good question. If you look at that program, it took a while for it to come together. You know, when when they started with with one bike, it was GT Tonglet, didn't qualify for most of the year. They would go back, make radical changes. You know, they, they would come out with a completely different engine design. I mean, really just redesigned the whole program until they got it right. So, I'm sure by that point, you know, in, in 04, it clicked, but it took them, it took them a while to get there. Um, you know, and again, you know, really there hadn't been any V twins in the class since the early seventies. So there wasn't uh, wasn't a template. There wasn't a barometer. You know, I know that, that Byron Hines initially sketched out the design for that engine on, on a napkin, you know, just kind of had some ideas of what, and, and then they, you know, went together to to, to make it work and, you know, it's um, – I mean, obviously, you want a, a company, a huge company like Harley-Davidson involved, and, you know, I'm pretty grateful that they're still uh, still out there now, uh, you know, 20 years later.
0: Trey Coughlin left uh, the pro stock ranks after Seattle. What what brought that
1: on midseason? I'm sorry. You, you, uh, you actually break up a little after we're coming off of things. So what was that?
0: Okay, I might have a little uh... –
1: you got a little lag, I think.
0: There. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Golden Tones. Let's work together here. Um, Troy Coughlin uh, bows out of pro stock competition mid-season after Seattle. What brought that on?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think he was looking for a new challenge. You know, he later in the year he uh, made the decision to go to ProMod. and I think you know at that point, any jury, the, the ProMod exhibitions were doing pretty well. Uh, I think that appealed to him you know, pro stock is a tough deal. I don't know. I mean, if, if I watched Greg Anderson win 15 races, I might uh, consider doing something else too. Um, I, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, Troy kind of had enough at that point. Uh, and also, you know, Daryl Alderman, he, um, he had some back back issues that I think may have required surgery. So there was also a note in here that, that, that he had, I think in Denver, uh, it was announced that, that he was done for the year. Um, so just kind kind of an interesting thing there. Um, obviously, also a, a very sad note to two thousand four. We lost Darrell Russell after an accident in St. Louis in Top Fuel. You know, Darrell was a, a really bright, up and coming star who most likely would have been a world champion. You know, driving for Joe Amato. Um, you know, that that was a real tragedy that uh, you know we still feel today. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, 2004 brought the 50th US Nationals, and I remember that being a huge um, celebration and an and event in general.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like anytime NHRA has a milestone race, 40, 50, 60th, um, they, they do really well, both fans and also, you know, you bring a lot of old racers out that don't go. It's um, great, but then, you know, something as big as the 50th Indy. Uh, I'm not sure, but it may have been um, NHRA's most successful event ever in, in terms of, you know, total attendance and, and fans. It was, um, I remember it being a really big deal and, you know, it, it was done right with, you know, a huge, huge display of nostalgia cars and just a lot of special promotions, things, um, you know, really sort, sort of, you know, honoring the sports heritage and, um, I just, you know, there's certain, you know, after you do this for years and years, sometimes the events tend to run together. That one did not. That that was a very special event for anyone that was there.
0: What sticks out to you most, from it? if you have a memory of Indy 2004?
1: Um, I, I remember doing, they did something that was kind of a West Coast thing, the Cackle Fest, where they take all those old nostalgia cars, line them up on the return road, fire them up, let them run. Um, uh, I happened to be on the starting line when they came out and and it was actually Don Garlitz that pulled up pretty much right in front of me with uh, I think Swamp Rat 3, you know, one of his early front engine cars. And uh, I, I just remember the look on that man's face, you know, in front of a packed house at Indy, just sitting there with the thing idling and the flames. And, and it was like, that was a kid at Christmas time, you know, and here's a guy that been around forever, seen everything, done everything. and And, and you could tell that was still, probably one of the defining moments of his career to to come back to a race that he'd won, I think, six times, seven times and, and thrill the fans that um, that was really cool moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, Speaking of of Indy, this is the beginning of the, the the infiltration to Brownsburg. It it really started in 2004 with John Force, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Force had already uh, built or bought a shop here right, right up the street. And then, um, at midseason, Schumacher announced that they were breaking ground on, on their 100,000-plus square foot facility. You know, now m- most of the teams, you know, Kalitta, Kalitta being the exception, but, uh, you know, uh, Pedregon is based here and Salinas is based here, and, you know, there's a bunch of alcohol teams. If, if you ever go to the Brownsburg area there a couple miles from the track, you've got a little bit of everything now. You've got sprint car teams, car teams. Um, it, it really is um, – you know, kind of what Charlotte, to, to drag racing, it's what Charlotte has become to NASCAR. And uh, it's great that the town is very friendly. They're very welcoming to businesses. Um, it, it's a really good environment. And I think it, it has benefited the sport as a whole, and um, certainly in HRS pro teams as well.
0: Yeah, ultimately, you followed the herd yourself, right?
1: I did. I, I did. And and it's uh, it's worked out well, where, you know, if I need, uh, you know, in, in my duties as national dragster reporter, if I, if I need to talk to a crew chief or go photograph something, it's five minutes up the street. It's very convenient. All
0: right, as we switch gears into the sportsman classes from 2004, I think that the, the most obvious thing that jumps out to me is uh, a break in tradition in the alcohol classes where the where alcohol dragster in the decade that we've discussed was largely dominated either by Santos or Riker, and alcohol funny mm-hmm. car completely dominated by Frank Manzo. None of those gentlemen were champions in
1: 2004. No, no. Mitch Myers, um, you know, who'd been around for a while, who'd been very competitive, had a breakthrough season to win in top alcohol dragster. Uh, I I know it was a very close points battle between uh, uh, him and Bill Bill Reichert, you know, who, you know, Reichert could have been a six-time champ, but uh, Mm. uh, Myers got one. And alcohol funny car, I still am trying to figure this out, that, uh, you know, Cy Chesterman won. And I believe it was the last time he ever drove a race car. Um, I don't believe he came back to defend his championship. You know, he he was a very successful businessman from Iowa. He owned, among other things, Coca Cola distribu- distributorships. Um, and uh, I mean, he he won three national events, had seven hundred eighty-six points, which is not not the usual Manzo eight hundred plus landslide, but but a very very strong total uh, that year. Man Frank Manzo won one race and. Um, he won Reading, um, but he did finish third with 700 points. So I'm not really sure um, why he had such an off season. You know, I know it may have been um, some things going on at home with the family business and things, but uh, just, I mean, I guess even the great ones can, can fall into a slump from time to time.
0: Definitely a, a blip on the radar there that uh, even now in retrospect seems unexpected. You know, it r- yes. r- yeah, seems like it didn't happen. Competition eliminator for the second consecutive year of uh, mm-hmm. Dean Carter with the uh, Nostalgia Front Engine car uh, defending his 2003 championship.
1: Yeah. yeah, came out swinging with a win in Pomona and uh, managed to keep the points lead, if not all year. You know, it was probably never worse than third or fourth. Uh, Tony Stevenson mounted a run, but ultimately finished second. Um,
0: Tony Stevenson, there's a name for the car. That was yeah, a big yeah. IHRA hitter that that sure. into NHRA mm-hmm. competition with it was GM performance parts. Right? It, it was.
1: Right. Yeah, he he had a he had a, a super modified car um looked kind of similar to Warren Johnson's pro stock car at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh Super Stock Division 4 guy Larry Stewart um came through and it's one thing to win a championship but to do it by going uh head to head with Dan Fletcher uh and and ultimately uh, Larry prevailed by a thir- just 39 points. Um, and we went, won the title late in the year. Uh, we, we have talked extensively about 700-point seasons, and we only had one that year, and it was by Lee Zane. Uh, he scored 703 points. Uh, Shane Carr mounted a really nice run for the stock title with 669 points, but not nearly enough to get it done this year.
0: For uh, Zane, that, that's the first of two?
1: It was the first of two, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really great come from behind story in, in SuperComp. Uh Doug Dahl was the the points leader for most of the second half of the season. Lyndon Rutland comes into Pomona, needs to turn on five wind lights to, to win the championship and does it in a borrowed car.
0: Which is That's a uh, big ass. That, that, I don't that, that remember it, that part of that story. I, I, I remember Lyndon's championship basically because I grew up watching him race, you know, in mm-hmm. Texas. He was sure. from the, the Houston area, but they were, he and Chris Colitti uh, traveled around together a lot more heavy hitters on the big dollar bracket scene mm-hmm. in my formative years, you know, and, the, and then he made the transition into supercomp. I remember him winning that title. I don't remember him having to climb that high of a mountain at the last race of the year. That's, yeah. that's a heck of a story. Yeah,
1: it, it was the last championship decided. Obviously, it was done on Sunday at Pomona. And that was also the only time he ever led the points during the year. It was the final wow. day of the season. So, so he, he literally had the points lead for two rounds, you know, three rounds, whatever it was. Uh, a lot of drama also in the Super Gas Championship. Um, Tom Stalba came in as the leader. Not, not, not the first time he had done that. Uh, Jonathan Womack needed to win, uh, don't remember how many rounds, uh, a couple, two or three to beat him. And uh, I remember personally standing there with Tom in the lanes. He he was actually strapped into his car at the head of the lanes, uh, you know, Pomona where you kind of pull out from the tunnel and you make the left turn. Uh, He had just pulled out enough where he could see. And Womack had, it was third round that he needed to win. And I remember when the car left. It, it just dead hooked right and went towards the wall. You know, Pomona sometimes late afternoon can be, you know, you lose the racetrack a little bit. And I mean, he was basically fighting for control, and you thought, this is over. No way is this guy gonna be able to run the number. And it, in fact, he couldn't. He went flat out 992.8. Um, his opponent was 50 on the tree, 991 gave him a little wiggle room. So uh, Womack won the round, won the championship. Um, ended up finishing, I think he won it by 28 points. Um, so he, I mean, he might have went on to win the following round. But um, yeah, that, that was one of two, uh, I think twice in two years or three years that uh, Stalva came into Pomona with a chance to win it and, and ultimately finished second.
0: Yeah, Stalva's another one on that list with Tommy Phillips, Jody Lang, that we've talked about before that have been so close on a number of occasions, this probably yeah. being the, the closest. And, yeah, uh, and I, believe, I believe
1: he's, sure, I believe he's got seven or eight Division one championships, but, uh, yes. you know, and probably, uh, you know, an equal number of top tens in super comp and super gas. And just uh, has having,
0: never... uh, having lived through that, like we talked about in, in our 2010 recap, mm-hmm. that kick in the gut, um, Doug Dahl and Tom Staub, a collective kick in the gut within hours of each other, it sounds like in Pomona. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a rough way to end the season. I mean, it, it's on the other side of it for Lyndon Rutland and Jonathan Womack, it's, it's got to be an amazing accomplishment to know that you have to win these rounds or in particular when it comes down to mm-hmm. one that round. But sure. uh, there's definitely some heartache on the other side of it, too. Well, there is. And
1: you think about all the things that are involved when you're out there r- racing for a world championship. You know, you, you're, you're you're probably trying not to dwell on this, but you have a banquet to think about rent a tux? Are you going to fly your family out? You know, do you fly your family out and then have this long, painful drive home if you don't win it? Um, You know, um, we probably don't give enough credit to people that are in that position. They get it done because the distractions I think are immense. I think the the chances for you to get wrapped up in all the hype, uh, it probably takes a lot of discipline to really keep your head on straight and focus on the things you really important, you know, driving and, and, you know, either, you know, either winning enough rounds to to win the championship or taking out the guy you need to defend your championship. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if we give enough credit there.
0: Yeah. No, the, the psychological hurdles and, and to your point, just the logistics of it all. I mean, you kind of want to have your ducks in a row should it go your way, but at the same time, you don't want to count your chickens before you hatch. Like it's a, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that I don't really care what you have done or what is going on in your life it is an all-encompassing thing for at minimum a few weeks for most of us you know probably six months or so where you just right. can't think of anything but um you know the the possibility of that yeah I think,
1: I think what was it last week we told the story of todd stewart who absolutely would not allow himself to be photographed with the trophy with a banner with, with anything you know he, he was a bit superstitious about it and um you know, I, I guess I understand a little, a little bit of that mentality, but um, you know, it certainly would have made our jobs a little easier had he just relented and said, you know, you, you can take one photo and we'll be done with it. Oh,
0: along that note, I'll uh, I'll shout out to uh, Jackie Frick. So Jackie was uh, I did I booked all my travel through Jackie for years, right? So mm-hmm. 2010 when I win that race at Reynolds, I'm like, hey, you know, if this is going to happen. Like as I emailed Jackie, I'm like, do you need to book everything for owner? Like how does all this work, right? And mm-hmm. so she's like, what are the, what are the scenarios again? And I'm like, well, there's this guy, this Gary Stinnett guy. Like he's got a chance. And Jackie emails <laughs> it back. And she's like, well, it's not like you're waiting to Pomona. You know, you've got a week or two, like, let's just wait. So good call Jackie. Thanks for saving me a couple thousand dollars in plane tickets and a lot of hassle.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank God for Southwest air where everything's refundable.
0: right? <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Anders, Houston, super gas winner. Uh, first national event win for Erica, obviously a, uh, a stake in the ground and a, and a sign of things to come. There,
1: yeah, and, and, and in fact, it was later that year in 2004 that uh, she got her pro stock license. Um, now, now, to be fair, it was a little bit of a rocky debut. She she, she did crash the car in one of the test sessions, but you know, uh, al- almost everybody, I think, I, I, there, there's very few people that have driven one of those cars for any length of time that haven't bumped into something. Um, but you know, as they say, you, you learn, uh, you learn where the, uh, you know, you learn where the edge is in one of those cars pretty quickly. And obviously she has since gone on to become, uh, one of the premier drivers in the class in the history of the class. I think if, if you, she would be on anybody's list of top five pro stock drivers ever, you know, some people would have her ranked at the top. Um, she, she literally is that good.
0: To your point. Um, arguably, on the short list, certainly, of the most gifted drivers that any of us have ever seen in our lives, Dave Connelly, mm-hmm. it's yes. a wall in a bar now in a personal yeah. car. Like, they're not yes. the easiest things to drive, right?
1: No, no, they, if, if you watch, when I watch them up close from the starting line, they, they, they just look very violent, very twitchy. Uh, I think it was Kurt Johnson that told me when, you know, Kurt Johnson, who crashed three cars his first year, basically said, you drive it with two fingers, you, you just the steering wheel never moves more than about an inch either way. If it does, that's, you, you need, to, you need to be out of it. Yeah. So uh, a few more notes from the 2004 season sportsman related. We had a father son final in uh, the second Las Vegas race. Jim Waldo beat his son, Gary. Can't imagine a bigger thrill than that to be able to race your kid in the final, um, no matter how it turns out. Uh, that's probably the least pressure you'll ever feel in the final round of a national event. I, I'm thinking, um, also, Bobby Warren, uh, a superstar in the '70s, uh, wins. It turned out to be the 14th and final national event. His career wins Bristol, age 70, um, and and I don't know that Bobby is still driving, but I do know that he was uh, about four or five years ago. I think at age 79, he made a really deep run at the U.S. Nationals. I believe he went to the semis, and that would have been just amazing. You know, he would have become. I believe at the time NHRA's oldest national event winner. And, uh, you know, he won his first national event in 1970. So that so you want to talk about a long and distinguished career. That's, that's Bobby Warren.
0: No question.
1: Yeah. Uh, our friend Brad Plourd, uh, had a monster Western swing, uh, not a, not a Western swing sweep, but, uh, he did win Sonoma <laughs> and Seattle. And, uh, he also in Sonoma, he was in two finals, uh, one stock and, uh, only lost the Superstock final as a, a heads-up race against a West Coast guy named Joe Kohorst. So that was a two-week span where he was in three national event finals and came away with two Ws. So that, that, that's a pretty solid effort.
0: I'm drawn way back into the memory bank because this is before I really got to know Brad. That's the, the, the Dr. Injector Corvette. And stuff. Is that, that kind of Yeah,
1: you know, I, I did a feature on Brad earlier this year for National Dragster, and it was a lot of it focused on a lot of the borrowed cars that he had, and, and I believe, I almost want to say there were three different cars that, oh, that he wow. raced in those three finals. Because, yeah, one, <laughs> I, I believe you're right. I believe he ran the Corvette, borrowed from uh, maybe either Tommy Gaynor or the, uh, the Lane family. Uh, and then he went and, and, you know, driving his cars uh, uh, in Sonoma and, you know, again, put, put together a win and a runner up.
0: Uh, if that's the case, if it's three different cars for those mm-hmm. three wins, how fitting is that for Brad Ford? I mean, that was oh, kind of the subject of your column, but yeah. he's the Swiss Army knife, jump into yeah. anything and win. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and, and you know, again, he he proves it now by driving a comp car that a lot of people wouldn't even attempt. And, uh, one final note, uh, Peter Biondo, who's basically been the king of Indy. Uh, what, what did we say? He has six or seven wins. Six, I think. Uh, he would be a seven-time champ had he not lost the final in 2004 to Jolo Cicero. Uh, one of the few times that uh, you would actually see somebody get the best of Pete in the final round.
0: Yeah, so we'll combine combine that with his top dragster runner-up this past season, and there could yeah. be even more indie dominance for you know, one of the most storied performers in indie history. Just to follow up on the Brad Ford segment, mm-hmm. that buggy, with blower, mm-hmm. to your point, yeah, you could say, Luke, you not a, forget you not a, you, you are guaranteed to win into you're guaranteed to win the world championship if you strap in that and make one run out really not That's... interested and brad <laughs> hops in it let's go on the bottom like somewhere between the bottom and the green i assume yeah like the dude's just amazing yeah
1: and and, and they're they certainly and, and i mean it's hard to 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 overstate this, but there are plenty of people who I've seen the ability to go top bulb, bottom bulb, door cars, dragsters, you know, we could sit here all day and rattle off probably 20, 30 guys that, that you would put in one of your cars and just say, have at it. But that car, the list gets much, much, much shorter to think uh, of people, you know, it's as, as one of the quotes about, uh, uh, you know, top fuel Harley. I wouldn't get out of the electric chair to get, to get in that thing. And, and it, it's kind of maybe not quite that with, with Brad's comp car, but um, it, it certainly is a car that commands a tremendous amount of respect.
0: Yeah. The Harley thing takes things to a different level. I mean, when you got a bolt on a Kevlar vest best to strap on it, you, yeah. you, you really got to think that through.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, yeah. To, to, to think that, and, and that's just to start it much less actually let it move under its own power. Uh, <laughs>
0: There's a difference between, uh, you know, pinpointing someone that you want to drive your car. Mm -hmm. It's different when there's like a vetting process of, no, they have to be willing to drive this
1: car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) most times you don't have to sign a disclaimer to, (laughs) Uh,
0: So I had a struggle to find IHR results for 2004. So those of you that had success on the IHRA tour, we apologize. We just don't have solid information to share there. congrats you know who you are (laughs) yeah right way to go um we'll uh we'll switch over to the big dollar bracket scene uh -hmm. kick it off with the million dollar race as we typically do this was the first of what would become two potentially Mm -hmm. more um million dollar race wins for one gary williams
1: wins uh, the million
0: in memphis would win it again just three years later
1: yeah Uh, a surprise to no one and if I'm not mistaken, I, I could be wrong. This is totally a guess. Did he beat Joel Reynolds in the final here? or?
0: I don't think that's accurate. Joel... No,
1: I, I, I don't remember who Gary beat in, 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 in his first million. In
0: who did
1: Gary beat in that first million dollars? So you think we'd I'll be prepared to look this up. Okay.
0: Yeah, well, you
1: know. <laughs> we're a professional show. We have a professional microphone, but we're we're, we're a little suspect in our research, I think. Good point,
0: Good point. There was a year that Aaron Markham was in the final, but I don't think it was I'll come up with that that I mean, okay. my memory will, will not continue to fail me. But to the point on Anjita, uh, on uh, this began to kind of cement this legacy of Gary as the money player um, in, in recent years, really, within the last probably 15 months. It's been, a, it's been an interesting time for Gary because he's actually managed to lose a few big-dollar race finals, uh, mm-hmm. I think, a uh, lot last season, and then back-to-back races at, uh, at Fire and Firecracker Nationals last season. He was actually runner-up, which was unheard of. His yeah. round record in races, he and Troy had the, the numbers, but I want to say in races that paid $30,000 or more to win up mm-hmm. until that point, Gary was like 11 and one in finals, but he just never lost those finals on the biggest stages, obviously highlighted by $2 million races, but multiple 50 granders, 30 granders. Like it was, and it's funny because I had had this conversation and have had this conversation with with both Troy and Gary. And I think they're probably looked at now on, on kind of level ground, but it's because Troy has this massive body of work that also, you know, obviously includes a million dollar race wins. It's not like he hasn't won right, on the right. biggest stages, but it's been just a more consistent performance week after week for, what, 30 years now. Whereas yeah. Gary has always been more highs and lows, but the highs have come on the biggest stages, right? And they would always joke because Troy's like, well, I'm way better than you till it matters. You know, <laughs> right, what it right, matters, right. Gary. Like I, I what does it? Scott Van Pelt. Scott Van Pelt always says, "How good is you good?" Yeah. Gary's good is is unmatched. Probably, like when, yeah. it, when it when it turns on, it's it's unbelievable. As evidenced by that record. But um, like I say, it didn't start in two thousand four for Gary by any means. But uh certainly that million and then backing it up three years later um kind of cemented that. legacy. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't need to do a whole lot more in your career um, to do that, to, to be mentioned among the all-time greats uh, to two, $2 million race wins in three years is um, yeah. Not, not, not too shabby. Uh, a couple of other things I, I know you were here and and, and had a, uh, a great weekend, but uh, Roy St. Dennis wins the uh, Stanton, mid Michigan 50 K it was an all door car final uh, over Mike Ledford. Uh, you may have some, uh, some insight as to how that all went down. I know that uh, he put together a string of five straight six fifty fours for the win.
0: Yeah, St. Dennis, as kind of typical, like that Thunderbird was just going dead on, like it was going out of style. He was making really nice runs. I remember this, uh, or what stands out to me about this was at I'm almost certain it was three cars remaining in the race. Um, the the, the semifinalist, the which I. I don't remember at this point the specifics, but the semifinalists, they had, they had a split discussion at three cars. Mm. And Mike Ledford, rightfully so, I think, was like, hey, I got the buy run. We'll talk next round, right? And um, the, the opponent that lost in the semis to St. Dennis, then it was quite the scene at the racetrack. Like they literally blocked Ledford in on the return road to cuss him out for not agreeing to split. And they put, and Ledford's in a in a tricky situation there, just because that's, his family owns the track, right? Both yeah. at different time. at this point, Jeff was running the track, Mike was racing. In other years, Mike's more recently been running the tracks, Jeff's been racing, and they both had success in this event, right? They both sure. had success everywhere. But um, so yeah, I felt like he was in kind of a touchy scenario, but I don't fault him at all for not agreeing to split sit on the by run, right? Yeah. But uh, it was it was a very odd scene. And uh, one that I'll kind of never forget, because I'm like, I don't think he did anything wrong. And I, I don't really, I don't, I wouldn't go to the point that Mike was fearing for his life. But that was a, it was an odd, you know, not necessarily riot situation, because I don't really think there was too many people on the side of the sound like, right, right. What are you doing? Right. But it was, it was a scene that you don't often see. Um, so it's one that I'll never forget. Um, a scene that you had, had mentions here that a couple other winners, I have won one day of that event, as well as David Rules. I went. This this race used to really um drive me crazy because I went on a string for like three or four consecutive years where I won Thursday at Stanton for either mm-hmm. five or ten grand, which is great, right? Like I'm not complaining. But it was all the same people that raced on Saturday for 50. Right. And I never got a dent in the 50. So I was like, I can't, can we just move the right. 50 to Thursday? Like I feel like I would do so much better. And I think to I'm almost certain it was either '03 or 04. one <laughs> of the years. I'll never forget this because say what you will about, and everybody's got a, a different stance on the on the Dirty Dozen, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: this is in the time frame where uh, several of them came back under the under the Bullet Motorsports banner with with Cirilla, and were having tremendous success in NHRA and the little bit that they dabbled in big dollar bracket racing. And I I think this is the year. No, it's not either because I think I run it up, but I uh, had five cars left in in one of those Thursday races at Stanton. It was me, Ron Irks, Todd Hickey, uh, I think Dave Connolly, and uh, oh, uh, Cook, Mark Cook, because mm. that it was Mark that beat me in the final. And I just remember getting into my car at at five cars in the staging lanes, and having this sense that like everyone there wanted me to win, and I remember like it was yesterday, Scotty Richardson leaned down in the car. And, you know, I mean, Scotty and I have I would, always been acquaintances. Never, I wouldn't say been particularly close. But I remember this because obviously I looked up to him as an icon. I remember him leaning down in the car and he's like, hey, man, soak this in. What do you mean? He goes, this is the first and only time in your life that everybody here wants you to win this race. Everybody's rooting for you." <laughs> <laughs> so it was an interesting dynamic.
1: <laughs> you, you you've got to admire those guys for their brutal honesty if nothing else.
0: Right? <laughs> uh uh Maroso 5 day 2004 it was more Gary Williams uh Gary Williams Wednesday 1 B Folk Scotty Richardson Anthony Bertozzi Peter Biondo. uh yeah that's a hall of fame class. Of well, well, yeah it,
1: it 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 mirrors the, the professional championships, right? Pick five guys you think you would go down there and, and have success at uh, one of the uh biggest and most prestigious bracket races, and th- th- there's your list. Um, interesting about the, uh, the points, uh, Brian Folk pretty much ran roughshod over the points. I know he won rounds every day. Um, I did find a note going into the final day, he had about a four or five-round lead. So even Scotty going to the final of uh, the final day was not enough for him to, uh, to overtake wow. Brian and win the championship. So it's pretty rare when you can have somebody go down there, get a win and a runner-up, and, and finish a distant second. But
0: yeah, um,
1: for sure. You know, Brian topped hundred points. Uh, you know, which in order to do that, you you need to win twenty rounds. Um, so uh, yeah, he, he had a, he had a monster uh, winner series. Uh, there came away, and it was also uh, his second or a rare second overall points championship for uh, for the Moroso five day.
0: Yeah, not too many people on that list of multi-time Moroso winners, right? No, no. Mm-mm. Um. Followed that up, or I think preceded it that year at Bradenton. Uh, another all-star all-star list uh, with, um, I guess, different names. Peter Biondo, the one, the one that uh, that won at both Bradenton and Moroso mm-hmm. that year. Peter joined by Steve Cohen, Jeff Strickland, Greg Kaufman, and Dick Arbitel as winners at uh, at Bradenton. Donnie Hollywood Urban wins the uh, points title at the Bradenton Five day that
1: season. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you probably have, we have a few other notes here, uh, uh, big money race in Montgomery, Ken Sullivan over Hugh Meeks, uh, believe that the note I had was the split was fifty-one forty-one. So, um, uh, how you got to 92,000, I'm not sure, but, uh, uh <laughs> that, that, that was a, a, a huge money race. Um,
0: uh, that's no, 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 actually again. the uh that's the event that i referenced earlier in the show that was early in the year i want to say early march i believe mm-hmm. that the the name of that was the fish Bowl of dollars right For yes yeah, that's correct that, mm-hmm. uh, that sticks out and uh mm-hmm. sullivan over hugh and like i say, i think i was down to five cars or four cars or something like that in that event um and, and that was the i won the weekend points championship there that's when i was saying kind of preceded that initial 10 tuck well, funny story, and it, this is actually uh in part the the subject of my uh, science of winning column that'll come out in the next edition of national Dragster. Mm-hmm. so the weekend points championship at that event was a uh just a base uh miller race car's solid dragster and the the thing that I'll always remember about this car was it was like this puke brown powder coat. I don't know who signed off on the powder, it was awful, right? And it had like sparkles in it, like fast <laughs> brown, right? So anyway, I get this thing home and I'm like, what am I gonna do with this solid dragster? Like somebody's gonna want this thing. And uh, I just struggle to find a market for it. Well, lo and behold, my buddy Blake Allen in Oklahoma starts calling, emailing me, sending pictures of this Vega. And I'm like, what the hell do I wanna do? What, why, why do I wanna make it? He's like, I'll trade you the Vega for your dragster. Okay. You know, I I'm not I'll just sell the dragster, right? Well, a month goes by, I can't sell the dragster and I'm like, he still wants to, maybe it'd be easier to sell this Vega. So the deal was this car that I'd won and three thousand dollars cash mm-hmm. for the Vega turnkey with a little three fifty or like six. To get this Vega and it's uh I I had a Nova at the time that I was really happy with. You know, it was my door car, foot brake car or what have you. Like, well, I'll race them both a little bit, and I'll, I'll probably just sell them, like, pretty problem, right, and, uh, I get the car, I, I meet Blake in Arkansas, tra- trade cars, and I drive to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, I win a $2,500 race that night in the Vegas, and the rest <laughs> is history, now it's the, my favorite car in the world, I'm in love with, and, and it it's just, uh, had its resurrection, it's actually a nice race car again for the first time since, you know, i Hardy the 70s, Pretty stayed at the yard at one time, it's, uh, it got road hard and put up quite a little bit in between, but that that fistful of dollars was ultimately the the origins of my history and my bank. So and now it's the car that uh, when I die that they, they're just going to dig a big hole. It's it's going
1: in the hmm. ground. But, but but do we know what happened to the ugly brown dragster chassis?
0: I do not. I have no idea <laughs> where. Knowing Blake, it was probably in Blake Allen's position for all of forty eight hours, and where it went from there, yeah, I've lost touch. The uh, let's see, J.R. Lear Camp, twenty-seven thousand dollar winner of the uh, the Ultimate Gambler in Vegas. That was the uh, the race that at the time really set the set the precedent. Like it was the first of its kind, thousand dollars to enter, one hundred percent payback, and yeah. winner take all. You know, according to the the flyer, at least obviously it got cut up from there. Lear Camp, one of the uh, the legends of the West Coast in general, specifically yeah. the Northwest, I uh, went down there and, and staked his name, his name in that trophy in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Yeah and uh we talked i think it was just last week about uh about maxi we were having the discussion of uh the the winningest racers of all time and i think he's on that yeah. list uh in august of 2004 we lost bob Maxey, passed away.
1: yeah and, and and again you know when you write the, the history of bracket racing back to the 70s uh, there's a handful there's probably five or six guys including johnny laboose senior uh, Sam Biondo, a few others that really sort of set the stage for uh, for bracket racing to kind of become a mainstream thing, um, and Bob Maxey certainly was one of them. You know, and it's interesting. You you look at the the origins of of organized drag racing, where you know it was a class racing format where you know you had you know super stock and comp and things like that, it, and the concept of bracket racing really wasn't. Uh, it really wasn't accepted until the early seventies. You know, I think the track operators struggled for a way to equalize competition, to not make it uh, strictly a money game and a numbers game. And uh, it, you know, when bracket racing was introduced, it took a little while for it to catch on and certainly even longer for, you know, it's for it to generate its own stars. And and, uh, Bob Maxey was certainly one of the guys that helped facilitate that and, and make it happen. And look where we are today. The next time you and i talk someone is going to be a millionaire or or darn close to it
0: wild stuff do you have a uh can, let's place our bets like pick a horse can you for, do for, that for, can you yeah for the million of course again all right uh, uh for the million I haven't,
1: I haven't thought about this at all so I'll let you i go. i i haven't either but uh my god are, would you be a fool not to Pull Hunter Patton right out the top of the deck. <laughs> I mean, he's it's won everything else this deck. year.
0: Right? He has literally won everything else this year. And I watched, we didn't stay to the end uh, Sunday at Byron. For those of you that are living under a rock, Hunter won another $60,000 race on Sunday at Byron uh, in a borrowed car at that.
1: I did not even know that. And I still picked him.
0: There you go. Right. Uh, and just uh, full transparency uh, Hunter defeated my wife, Jessica, um, third round. So I know I know the I know the numbers on that round. It was the round before, the round after. Uh it was 003, three, three rounds in a row. Like just nasty. Just really, really impressive. I assume that there was a hiccup somewhere along the way, but every time that I watched Hunter Patton last weekend, it was like there was no uh there was no mystery as to why he's having the success that he's had. Like he he wasn't backdooring anything, It was made an unbelievable run. So that's uh yeah, that's a solid pick. Um okay i'll go I'll go doorcar side, and, and it's a guy that is um, it's a name that's not going to surprise anyone. His show hasn't been on the road as much lately, but he has been dominant locally, and he's just a guy that knows his way to the winner's circle. I'll take Wes yes. Westman I saw that he was there. i watched I watched literally like three pairs of the live feed, and one of them was West. so I know mm-hmm. West is among the 700 plus entries. I'll take West yes. um. What, okay, so we've been through now 11 years, right, of, yeah. of way back Wednesdays slash throwback Thursdays over the course of the last three months. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. I know eventually this this has to either come to an end or kind of transition into something a little bit different. For one thing, uh, you're going back to work, right? So
1: I, I am. I am. Monday.
0: So, and the, and the NHRA tour is set to resume in, in short order. What are we? Two mm-hmm. weeks away? Uh, right, yeah.
1: yeah. 11 days. Yeah.
0: So, um, so you'll be busy. I I know for next week we talked about this a little bit off the air. We've got what i have a, a show that I'm really excited about planned. Um, mm. We're going to come back and kind of at least do a a, a prohibitive oral history on uh, the Moroso five day. I know mm. it's an event that we've touched on in each of these Wayback Wednesdays. We're going to dedicate an entire hour to Moroso and its history. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. We've kicked around some other ideas on uh, on some projects to engage in in the future. But uh, definitely next week, we'll play it by ear from there. So be sure to tune in with us next Wednesday, uh, Oral History of the Moroso Five Day. And uh, Kevin, again, man, I just uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, jump out here and do this. This has been a lot of fun, and I don't think that it would be nearly as engaging, entertaining, or interesting if there was anyone involved in this. But you, you bring a, a unique level of uh, encyclopedia, encyclopedic knowledge and, and history do each of these shows. I really appreciate
1: it. Well, thanks. It's uh, nice of you to say I I enjoy it tremendously. It's also good. uh, It's almost therapeutic to sort of rattle the memory banks a little bit and go back and research some of these things. As I said, you know, after you do this for years and years, sometimes the years kind of run together. And and it's nice to, to take a couple hours, do some research, go back, see who did what back, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago. And, uh, yeah it brings up a lot of good memories. It allows us to give recognition to a lot of guys who have done some amazing things that may have gotten shuffled back in history a little bit, so had a lot of fun doing that, really looking forward to the moroso thing because I think if you would ask any bracket racer, certainly the the, the older generation you know that event not the most not the highest paying event, but pretty much unmatched for prestige i don't think there's anyone. was there certainly not in the heyday of the 80s 90s and early 2000s that you know that was a must win event and uh, the stories that came out of that place some which can't be repeated a lot of which we can uh, uh, it really had an amazing history and I think that event as much as any other set the stage for again what's going on today in bracket racing which is you know an amazing nationwide sport that uh, you know is, is almost to the point of becoming mainstream.
0: One hundred percent. Just speaking for, you know, on behalf of, of my generation, like it followed um, sportsman drag racing to any extent in the late 80s through up the 90s. It was in due in large part to your ride ups to National Drag covering the Moroso Five Day. I think that that was a big part of the prestige. It that was the race that, you know, was circled on the calendar. That was the race that I always wanted to be a part of growing up. And uh, and I remember I th- I think I only got to go, twice when it was the old Moroso you know mm-hmm. that it really had the feel yeah. of the original Moroso and it absolutely lived up to expectation you know I mean it was it's never quite the way that you picture it but it was one of those things that was better bigger had more mystique than even yeah. you know yeah. I, I thought coming in you just feel the electricity when you, pulled onto the premises and it was it was neat and it was a cool experience and and to your point the. Um, the folklore around the Moroso five day probably even exceeds the actual on track, you know, results yeah. and discussion about it. Like it was just, it was the social event of that time.
1: Right. And, and we'll dive into a little more of this next week, but you have to remember at that point, certainly in the early years, you didn't have a, a 10, 15, 20,000 or $50,000 right. race every week. You know, th- there was very few, and this was probably the only one, that you had to be there. If you were anybody in, in, bracket racing, if you wanted to make a name for yourself, you had to go to West Palm beach in November. Um, there was no ifs ands or buts about it. You had a handful of guys that towed all the way from the West coast every year to do it. Uh, you know, you would have your, your groups, you know, the, the Midwest guys would come down, you know, kind of the, you know, the folk family from Illinois and and, and their gang. Uh, you had a bunch of division one guys, the, the Maryland group, the the New Jersey group that came down and, you know, it was a chance to test yourself against the best of the best. And that that is a big part of what made it special. No doubt.
0: Really looking forward to next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Be sure to join us then. Thank you for whether you're watching on uh, Mrs. Pracker Racing Facebook page, listening on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Thank you for being with us this week. We'll be back next week with Way Back Wednesday on the Moroso Five Day. Thanks again, k And
1: and, and we'll probably talk about the sports' newest millionaire.
0: I'm sure we'll have to touch on that. Yeah. yeah. So. What's next? Or 100.
1: What if they run in the final?
0: Ooh, we'd have we would have we'd get some side action going <laughs> <there>. Deal. <laughs>
1: All right. right. Good Take stuff. care. Thanks,
0: everybody. But,